Please be seated. This winter, my friend Greg is celebrating the 10th anniversary of his kidney transplant, and it's a kidney that his cousin gave him, which is super cool. I've been friends with Greg for about seven years, and every year he reminds us and we kind of celebrate with him. And since I've known him, every fall in like September, October, he has missed small group. And he was in our original small group, and I know that he's missing, has missed small group this fall. And he misses it but he, because he goes up to northeast Minnesota to his cousin's sugar beet farm, and he helps with the harvesting of the sugar beets. And he's told me it takes 12 to 20 people, three weeks, working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to harvest 6,000 acres of sugar beets. And he goes year after year, and he spends all three weeks there, and he does not expect to be paid. And I remember saying, Greg, why do you do this? This sounds like a lot of work. It's hard work, and you get tired. And he said, how else do I pay somebody who has given me life with one of his kidneys? Yeah, right. So he goes, year after year, three weeks, he stays, works long shifts. And this year, his wife, Laura, went. And so she was telling my friends and I about her experience. And she learned how to drive a really, really, really large truck. And she learned to drive it very, very slow in a very, very straight line for a very, very long time. Sounds like fun. But then she said, after the harvest is complete, his cousin rents out this restaurant bar in a neighboring town, and everybody goes and celebrates the end of harvest. I'm like, well, that sounds like fun. And of course, my mind went to, wait a minute. This actually sounds like a Hallmark movie. Everybody gets together, the whole community. Harvest is done, and they go to town, and they have dinner and a dance in some local barn. You know Christmas Hallmark movies aren't right, and I have been watching them. So I'm, everything equates to a Hallmark movie. But Laura said, it's not exactly like that. It's a little bit different. I'm like, okay. I could see, I could, I wonder if I could email, because this would be a great story. But then later I was thinking about this commitment that Greg's cousin and Greg have made to one another. And what is the root of that kind of love and commitment that they have for one another through all of these years. And in this last chapter of Esther, I think we get some insight into what this kind of love and commitment looks like and what people can accomplish together. And so let's take a look at the last chapter of Esther, chapter 10. It's on page 416 in the Blue Bibles. And it's only three verses. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers and sisters. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all of his people. 
All right, first of all, he imposed a tax. Like, really? They just got done celebrating, and they have been delivered from certain death, annihilation, and they are celebrating days and days of feasts, and they have officially made Purim a holiday celebrating their deliverance, and then he imposes a tax? Really? For, like the timing of this. Maybe it's like the timing of um, we're celebrating, um, having a dinner party, and we're having, we have friends over, and we're having a great time, and a teenager runs up the stairs and says, hey, Mom, is it okay if I grab 20 bucks out of your purse to go get Starbucks? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. Go, not, go fi have fun. Wait a minute, 20 bucks? Oh, right, it's Starbucks, so yeah, 20 bucks. <laughs> or maybe it's kind of like one of those things where you seek an opportunity like when your boss is in a really good mood or maybe when he returns from vacation and you ask for a raise. Like you seize the moment, there's a celebration, and if, I, if this tax, this tax will be less painful because they're celebrating and they're all happy, right? Maybe. Some of the translations actually call this an imposed tribute, to which I was like, a tribute to what? Was this tax a tribute to the king because he allowed for the Jews to be saved from annihilation? Or was it just simply the reinstating of the taxes that he had lifted when he chose Esther as his queen? Verse 2 continues to look back also at how the king used his power. Like advancing Mordecai, a Jew, into a position of high honor, making him the second in command only to the king. And of course, only the king could do that through his power as king. The story of King Ahasuerus and Mordecai is a remarkable part of their history. The author is making a point that it is being recorded, that it has been recorded in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings to give proof to the original audience that this narrative of Esther is indeed true. Did the, the king did exercise power, but Mordecai got things done, important things, crucial things, and it wasn't through power. Let's look again at verse 3. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers and sisters. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all of them. Mordecai's position was like being the prime minister or the head of state. So it was a position that came with power, but that's not how or why Mordecai ended up second in rank to the king. We are told he was great among the Jews. Why? Why was he great among the Jews? Mordecai was deeply devoted to God and his people. We see that when he advises Esther to keep quiet about her identity when she becomes the queen. Even though the queen was presumed to have little power in that day, it was good to have a Jew on the inside. We see his loyalty when he refuses to bow to Haman. And that, of course, was what led to the events of the Jews being in the crosshairs of Haman. Remember, Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman. Haman, in his fury, bribes the king to put out a, a decree to have all of the Jews killed because Mordecai wouldn't bow. 
Mordecai's response to this devastating decree of death, he responded knowing that Esther had the only chance at convincing the king to not kill the Jews. And we know how the story goes. God was at work like only he can be. Mordecai and Esther worked together, and the Jews were saved from annihilation. And we, know, and we know now this is the story. And even though God's name is not mentioned, not once in the book of Esther, we can see where he was at work. Neither Esther or Mordecai alone had the power or the position to save the people. They needed each other and the providence of God for everything to work out. If Mordecai hadn't told Esther to not reveal her identity, she would not have become the queen. Had Mordecai not been devoted to caring for Esther, he wouldn't have been at the palace checking on her and overheard the plot to kill the king. If Mordecai hadn't reported the plot, he wouldn't have been rewarded by the king for his loyalty. Had Esther not been the queen, Mordecai may not have been rewarded at all. If Mordecai hadn't refused to bow to Haman, the crisis wouldn't have happened. If Esther had refused to be the queen, she wouldn't have been in the inside to intercede on behalf of the Jews. Mordecai convinced Esther to go uninvited to the king on behalf of her people. And Esther came up with a plan that forced the confrontation between Haman and the king. If Esther didn't identify Mordecai to the king as her uncle, he would not have worn the king's insignia ring. And without Mordecai's decree, Haman, Haman's decree of death would have prevailed. It seems cliche to say this, but I think it's pretty clear that God does work in mysterious ways. And he wants to work in each one of us, and he wants to work through each and every one of us. But we have to be willing to pay attention, and we have to be willing to participate in what he's doing. We need to see what is going on around us. We need to see the activity that God has started or is involved in around us. God's providence is for us, too. It's here with us. The question is, are we open to the work that he wants to do in us? Are we open to the work that he wants to do through us? Or are we too afraid? Are we afraid of letting go of control? Are we afraid of not being good enough or not knowing enough to be used by God? There are so many opportunities to be part of what God is doing around us. The easy place to participate is right here with Timberwood Church. God is working in and through Timberwood Church. Children need to hear and experience the love of Jesus. And you can see God at work in and through Sunday school. 
When you participate, you see him working in and, in and through the kids and the adults and volunteers that are involved. Our ushers share the love of Jesus with a smile and a greeting. There are opportunities to see God working through, fe through the fellowship on the, of the Monday and Friday cleaning teams and in the kitchen on Sunday mornings with the hospitality team. God works through our fellowship. You can see God at work when you, see, when you serve a warm meal at the soup kitchen. And you can see him while you, while you are welcoming our homeless neighbors into the warming shelter for the night. God is at work around us. He wants to work in us, and he wants to work through us. But when we don't participate because we don't think we can, or we keep our community and our interactions to a comfortable place, we miss out on what God wants to do to accomplish his will. We miss out on what he wants to accomplish together with us. Mordecai was committed to his people. He was committed to their flourishing, meaning that he wanted them to grow and develop in a healthy manner, in a healthy environment. And they were grateful and their gratitude drew them towards him, and it made him popular. Verse 3, right in the middle, it tells us, He was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers and sisters, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all of his people. Popularity today ruins this idea of popular and when we hear it. Because we work hard. Popularity today, I think about when we are trying to have all the right things, be in the right places, take the right pictures, have the right things, be with the right people in order for people to see us and like us or want to be with us or think we're somebody. And that's a lot of work. When we work hard to be popular or be seen, it is a job. It takes a lot of energy and effort. And it sounds exhausting. When popularity is the goal, I think we're missing out on the opportunities to be united with each other and with God. Mordecai's popularity did not come from his efforts to be popular. He didn't set out trying to be popular. It was the result of him loving others well. He put the welfare and the needs of his people before his own interests. He was loyal. And loyal to the point he wanted all of his people to flourish. And Mordecai spoke up for them. He spoke up to save the king even though the king wasn't necessarily on the side of the Jews, he was loyal to the king, and he spoke up 
and he told him about the plot there was to kill him. He spoke up when Esther needed to be protected. He spoke up when his people needed to be saved. He spoke up and he took action. He didn't just sit back and tell other people what to do or how to do it. He spoke up, he expressed the need, and then he also took action, and he encouraged other people to be part of it. Who doesn't want somebody like Esther, or I mean Mordecai, in their life? An encourager? Somebody who has got our welfare in their best interest? Somebody who is loyal? I want a Mordecai in my life, and I want him to be on my team. Mordecai's life was directed towards goodness, and it says he also spoke peace to his people. Not just peace in the sense of, re of representing the absence of conflict, I mean, in regards to war and conflict like that, or conflict with people. He, he spoke that peace, but I think he also spoke about peace as it refers to this idea of rest. Like in a, when a, you have peace of mind, or when you're in a peaceful place, I imagine that Mordecai must have been assuring and encouraging, and he probably reminded people that the only source of peace is faith in God and trusting him in all things. I totally see why people wanted to be around Mordecai. I want to be around Mordecai. No wonder he was a popular dude. Who doesn't want that in their lives? He sounds like he was a great dad, a loyal friend, and an amazing leader. I was thinking this week, do I draw people in like Mordecai did? Are people drawn to me because of my loyalty, my interest in their welfare, my love for them, my care for them? I ask you the same thing. Do you draw people towards you? Do people see your heart? Do people see what our heart represents through our words and actions? What people saw in Mordecai was his heart and his love for them. He loved them well. And that's what made Mordecai great. That's what made him a great leader. It's what made him popular among all of the people. Esther is a narrative that is filled with wisdom for us to glean from. I hope that you participated in writing your own wisdom manifesto I have to admit, I'm not really a journaler, and oftentimes I would leave and forget, or I wouldn't write it down while I was here, whatever the wisdom was that I would take out of the messages throughout the weeks of Esther. But I did sit down a few times and really intentionally and deliberately look at the wisdom that came from 
Esther and Mordecai and think about how do I apply that in my life? What is it that God wants from me and for me? How is he best going to be able to work in me and through me for his greater good? And so here's my completed Esther Wisdom Manifesto. I am enough, and I can do hard things. God will use me in unique ways, in his time, and for his glory. Pride will not keep me from feeling what I need to feel. Pride will not keep me from naming my pain or my fear. And it will not keep me from asking for help in navigating hard things. Do life with others. Build community. Expand your circle. See to it that others flourish. And speak peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being a father that knows all things. We thank you for the wisdom that we find in the book of Esther. We thank you for the examples that both Esther and Mordecai are and what it means to love well, have courage to do hard things. Lord, I pray that when our pride runs deep, and it becomes a barrier between you and I, us and our other people, our, the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize and humble us, that we would humble ourselves and see things the way you see them, that we would be able to see all circumstances, all people, the way you see them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to respond the way you desire us to respond. That we would look out for the welfare of others. That we would love well and that we would speak peace. Lord, help us to see the work that you have for us and help us to see what it is that you want and need from us. Lord, allow us to be working for your glory and your honor. Help us to see the need and respond to it with courage. Lord, we ultimately want to love you and honor you and glorify your kingdom. And we give all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.